Coming up on this week's show, we have Coastal Magic Convention featured author Terry Michaels. Plus, we've got holiday reading recommendations from Joyfully J. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 167 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. A big thanks to Terry Beth for joining us this week. If you would like to join our Patreon supporter group, you can just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. One thing to note is our patrons all get access to our bonus episodes, and the December bonus episode is something we're recording right after we're done with this. And that'll drop on Tuesday, so a little something bonusy for our patrons this week. As I mentioned in the upfront, we got a fantastic show uh, for you coming up. So let's get right to it. First of all, news. Um, oh, Jeff. Well done. <laughs> Jeff, you've got some big news. Yes. The the final piece of all of the Codename Winger stuff for the end of the year clicked in uh, this week as Tracker Hacker, which is book one of the series, released on audio for the first time. Uh, John Solo does a tremendous job uh, with the recording of this book. I have listened to it uh, because I kind of had to because I was curious. And uh, I'm super happy with what he did in that book. So if audio is your thing and you'd like to pick up a series about a teenager who plays hockey and, you know, saves the world because he's also a secret agent, uh, you can now pick up Tracker Hacker in audio from the good folks at Audible or iBooks or Amazon. In the Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Vince Sterling, wherever you buy books. So really quickly, I want to talk about two books that I read this past week. And I'm, of course, continuing the Christmas theme. Uh, the first one is a new author to me, uh, which is another theme I've had this year unintentionally. I've been kind of uh, checking out some new authors, which is fun. It is. And Christmas stories are the perfect way to do it. It's yes. a short little nugget. Test a new author out. Nugget. <laughs> so on with the Christmas nuggets. The first book I want to talk about is The North Star by L. Keaton. Um, oh my god, did I love this book so, so much. Um, the cover, of course, drew me in at first. I was like, oh, I'm going to check that out. He's really handsome, that guy on the cover. Um, the North Star is a theater in the Pacific Northwest. It's a... Um, uh, sort of like a college town art house movie theater and John is the guy who's running it uh, and he's having a very bad Christmas because um, the bank has said 
um, they're going to for- foreclose uh, at the beginning of the new year. Oh, no. Uh, so he's sort of like down in the dumps. Uh, he doesn't even want to like, you know, finish out the Christmas season. He's feeling really terrible. Uh, when along comes a guy named Chance. Uh, Chance has a very interesting story. Uh, he's from England and he's flown all the way from the UK to visit the North Star. Why, you might ask? It's because the North Star is a very important part of his family history. His mother and father actually met at the North Star. Uh, that was their very first date. Uh, so uh, Chance's very existence actually uh, is closely linked to this tiny little uh, movie theater in the Pacific Northwest. And um, Chance's uh, mother's dying wish was that he go experience the North Star for himself, since, it's, uh, since the theater is such an important part of their family mythology. So that's what he does. Uh, he hops on a plane and then like gets on a bus and like travels to the middle of nowhere, the Pacific Northwest, uh, and finds that the North Star is closed. And he's like, well, what the heck is this about? I've traveled all this way. Uh, and he goes around to the back uh, to see like John crawling on his hands and knees in the alley because he's trying to like save a little baby kitten from underneath a dumpster. Oh, <laughs> It's a super cute, uh, cute meat. Uh, and, um, Chance is, like, you know, having none of this, like, uh, holiday, holiday bah humbugness of John's, uh, and so he, like, you know, picks him up by his bootstraps and makes him <laughs> open the theater for the night, uh, and throughout the story, uh, that's what Chance does, is, like, giving, giving John a new outlook, and if, if this theater is gonna go away in the new year, they're gonna go out with a bang. So he makes sure that, you know, the theater is running and as they get to know one another, uh, they, of course, fall in love uh, and end up working to save the movie theater. Uh, As I mentioned, I loved this story to pieces. Uh, I loved the holiday setting, the small town, this little movie theater. They run, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. On Christmas Day, they have a... Uh, they run the entire Die Hard trilogy, and um, <laughs> I just I just love this an awful lot. I really liked John and Chance and the way they kind of connected and got to know one another. Uh, once again, it kind of fed into my deep need for uh, nice guys. I really enjoyed the two of them. Also, really quickly, I want to mention another book that I read this past week. It's called Designer Holiday by Ari McKay. Now, this is the book that they did the cover reveal for in episode 162. And let me tell you, this book is really damn good. Um, This story is about a guy named Ryan who has moved away to the big city and become a professional um, designer, uh, uh, interior design. Uh, make that perfectly clear. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, he's come uh, back to his small hometown to help um, renovate the local theater uh, in the Holiday Pines. And uh, in a place called Holiday Pines, the holiday season is, of course, a very big deal. And the center of the very big deal holiday festivities is the local playhouse. Uh, and it's, you know, seen better days. It's a little run down and ragged. So the town hires Ryan to come back and refurbish the historic theater. Uh, so that's what he's in town for, and when he comes, he runs into Old Flame Emilio. Emilio is a dance teacher in this small town, and he essentially runs the the Christmas 
festival show that uh, goes on every year at the small theater. And so at first they butt heads uh, because they have a shared past. Uh, They were boyfriends uh, when they were much younger. Uh, Then Ryan went away to school, sort of leaving his, you know, humble small town beginnings behind. Uh, And that felt that Emilio felt really abandoned and harbors a lot of resentment about that. So when they meet again now in the present day, um, Ryan has got an awful lot of work to do <laughs> um, because uh, immediately he feels that spark again. Both of them do, but Emilio is uh, really hesitant. He doesn't trust Ryan because of what happened in the past. So as Ryan is working to uh, renovate this theater, uh, he's also working very hard to get back into Emilio's good graces. Um, the renovation goes off uh, splendidly. Uh, it reopens and they start the whole uh, Christmas season with the, the pageant and the show and, and all that great stuff. Uh, and Emilio's mom sort of plays matchmaker and she goes, oh, Emilio, you haven't put up your Christmas <laughs> decorations this year. What what will the all what will all the old town you know biddies what will they think when they go through the, the like historic tour of homes and there's no you know decorations in your window why don't you have Ryan help you with that so that's what Ryan does he like helps outfits uh, Emilio's house with um, baubles and bows and Christmas splendor uh, and of course they fall back in love during all of this. So I highly recommend checking out Designer Holiday by our good friends Ari McKay. Well, you had a whole like small town theater thing going on this week. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was just one of those things that just happened. Um, serendipity. There you go. Holiday serendipity. So in addition to the recommendations you've just given, uh, I talked to our friend Jay from Joyfully Jay earlier this week. They, of course, have a huge array of holiday things going on on the website because, as she'll point out here, they've been reading Christmas since October. (laughs) As Uh, you should. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So besides some holiday reads, she's also going to talk to us about their best of, which also kicks off this week. And uh, so she's got a lot of stuff. So let's get to that right now. Very happy to have Jay back on the show. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. We're recording Hanukkah week. Yeah, exciting. Thanks. Hi, it's great to be here again. Yeah, great to have you. I know, you know, we're right here in the middle of holiday time. Will's been reading up a storm on the holiday stuff. I've I'm been sure. reading a little bit of it too. Um, what's on, what, what holiday stuff do you have to offer up to the audience? Well, yeah, yeah, we're right in the middle of holiday. The funny thing is, you know, writing a blog, we get everything um, often early and like October, all of a sudden we're getting holidays. So like we're now actually reviewing the books but we've been reading holiday now for you know like a month and a half so sometimes by the time december rolls around we have you know we've already read everything but um yeah we have our um favorite holiday books list up on the blog and we just um updated it so it's now current through everything that we read last year so if you're looking for a holiday that's a great place to look um some of my I guess sort of all-time favorites. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Heidi Cullinan's Minnesota Christmas series, so that's one I always um, like to recommend. It's um, started out as a trilogy, although it expanded to four, about three friends, and each one was released a year apart. So that's sort of a classic. That's sort of a super sexy, um, you know, small town Minnesota. Everyone knows everyone else's um, business kind of story, which I really love. Um, 
Another one, if you like sort of fun, sweet fantasy and uh, series finished last year, but um, I always love Charlie Cochet's North Pole City Tales series, which is sort of a fantasy-ish adaptation of the Christmas story. So um, the reindeer are, they all fly biplanes and there's, you know, Jack Frost is a real person and Rudy Reindeer and, um, you know, Santa is a real person and they all sort of have this little world that they're living in and each year um, features a different one of the reindeer. So um, that's sort of more on the fun and sweet side, which is also another fun one. Um, and on the Hanukkah end, I read last year, which I really loved and would definitely recommend again, um, Remaking of Corbin Whale by Rowan Parrish, which is a great Hanukkah story. It's uh, um, It features a baker and um, the guy who comes to work for him. And, um, you know, Rowan is fabulous with like just character development. I really think she excels in that. And they're so layered and so interesting. And there's a really neat sort of wildness to Corbin that I really like. And um, plus, it's like total bakery food porn. Like after you read it, you will want to be like baking babka. I was like Googling babka recipes as if I was going to make this like six hour dessert that, it, you know, that it takes to make babka. Um, but if you're looking for Hanukkah, that's a really nice one. And it's a beautiful story. And, um, you know, it's not, um, you know, it incorporates the holiday really nicely while also having sort of this broader romance. So definitely if you're itching for Hanukkah stories, check out our favorites list and also just for a seasonal uh, mention i'll toss in we also have um because this is a personal favorite of mine um favorite snowbound stories list as well which i'll give you guys the link to um because i love those forced proximity like road trips snowbound like anytime two people are stuck together like that so yeah, we have yeah. a list of our um of our favorite snowbound stories which is also sort of a little bit seasonal now for uh people who uh it seems like uh, this time of year you get a lot of them. Well, obviously, I guess because it's winter, but. Forced proximity and snowbound is like crack for Will. Yes. I mean, <laughs> he is all over what? that. Yeah. Snowbound is totally my crack. I feel like snowbound's the winter version and road trips the summer version. And they're like, you know, the same concept. But I love that. I love that forced, um, forced proximity. So, and in fact, the Minnesota Christmas has a um, uh, snowbound in uh, the first book, I believe. So. Uh, that that plays in well and actually one of the ones I read this year that I liked um, Better Not Pout by Annabeth Albert that also has a little bit of a um, small snowbound element and that was a fun um, that was a fun holiday small town story it was military small town with a small town guy and the um, military man Nick is getting ready to retire and move to Florida and he sort of feels like he's kind of washed up for life because now military is always known and he does this last Santa gig before he heads out of town and meets this you know guy who grew up in the small town and, and of course fall in love and romance and hijinks ensue but that was a fun um holiday story this year and um, I'm trying to think what else I read I really think the um the Christmas Angel collection I don't know if you've read any of those um this was sort of cool um a group of authors all came together and wrote some um, each book is standalone, but there is a thread that ties in about this Christmas angel, and it goes all the way from way back historical um, through contemporary stories. And in fact, I read um, N.R. Walker has one, Soldier's Wish, that's Vietnam era, which is so, so rare in um, LGBT 
romance and romance in general um, takes place partly during Woodstock and then with a soldier who goes off to war. Um, but um, Jordan L. Hawk has a book in that series, Kim Fielding, R.J. Scott. And um, so it's sort of neat because you can jump in and out of the different books and you can read them in any order, but it's sort of neat to see how they each work in this angel into the story. So that's um, that's kind of a fun one. And I think there's seven or eight um, yeah. books. They all dropped on the same day, but there's um, a big bunch of them. Yeah, we just got those. And there's a, there's a couple of them. I'm intrigued as you are with the, with the series as a whole, mm -hmm. but there's one or two. There's one that's a, a, a Christmas Prince and I love Prince mm. stories, and I'm yes. I'm really eager to be reading that. I think one. that was R. That was R. J. Scott's. I think. I think so. I think yeah. We just we just reviewed it. I'm not the one who read it, but yeah, um, yeah, sort of neat. And um, Jordan L. Hawks I read also, um, and hers is vaudeville era about a vaudeville magi magician. So just some interesting um, time periods that you don't mm -hmm. get very often either, which is sort of fun. So it's interesting to see how. Um, you know, they can sort of put together a series that's not a series, but I'm seeing a lot more of that, actually, the um, sort of authors coming together to make, you know, a collection or even an anthology, although that's yeah. more common. Shared universe stuff, the, the heart to heart anthologies that have yes. happened. Right, right. All have that thread of dating up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's sort of fun to do that, especially something like this, where you don't have to read sequentially, you don't have to read them all for it to make sense. And you can sort of jump in and out depending on what strikes your interest. So that's sort of fun. So we're also in the middle of annual favorites list time. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see, you know, we all read different things, even though some of us, um, we end up overlapping. So it's interesting to see the breadth of different um, book recommendations. So um, mine's coming out this week, but I'll give you a little sneak peek of a couple of mine that um, stood out for me this year. Um, one of them that I went crazy for, and I think we might've talked about this on the podcast was um, Whisper by Tal Bauer. Mm -hmm. um, which just as a recap features a um, CIA agent who is an expert in Afghanistan and it kicks off at the start of 9-11 and Afghanistan is sort of a back burner kind of country in terms of what the CIA's attention's on until, you know, the attacks happen and suddenly he's thrust into the forefront of, um, you know, the whole investigation and he gets... Um, grouped with some Marines who are first on the ground in Afghanistan in the hunt for bin Laden. So it's just a fascinating story because there's so much that really reads almost like nonfiction, like you're reading an account of the investigation. And I think um, partly because Bauer does so much research and a lot of the um, conversations and things that they've had are taken from transcripts that really happened of interviews with subjects and things. So um, it has such a real feeling and so much urgency as you're reading it. Um, and at the same time, then there's a romance that develops between Chris, the agent, and one of the Marines. And, you know, you follow that all the way through and there's a crisis that happens and the romance where they, you know, you're waiting for them to sort of get back together and everything to work out. So that was like an 800 page book that I read in 48 hours. I mean, could not put it down. So um, that was one of my favorites. Um, another one that I read more recently that's been getting a lot of buzz is um, Oz by Lily Morton. I don't know if you've read any of her um, her books. She's amazing. Um, this Oz is actually a spinoff of her Mixed Messages series. So Rule Breaker, Deal Dealmaker, um, and then there's one more that I'm forgetting. Um, and so this is a spinoff that features the brother of one of the main characters. And um, she her stuff is such a good combination of 
humor and banner and quippy sort of that high energy feel with really great layered characters and great romance. Um, and so Oz is about a sort of young guy who is um, grew up poor background and um, lost his job and is looking for something else. And he interviews for a caretaker position of this um, property in Cornwall. So, you know, in the state of a, and now I'm going to forget what the, which nobility level it was, but, and uh, he figures when he sees all these posh interviewees that he has no chance. So he sort of goes into the interview with total irreverence and, you know, just takes it really casual and so his surprise gets hired. So then he comes out here to this sort of wilds of Cornwall and um, meets the Lord of the Manor. And there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of banner, a lot of humor, a lot of fun. And it's just all of that overmixed with these two, you know, vulnerable guys who fall for one another and so romantic, so fun and sexy and sweet. And I recommend everything of hers, but um, absolutely, absolutely loved this one. And um, there's more to come. The um, You'll probably know as soon as you read it who the next book is going to be about. Um, but I'll leave that a secret because it's sort of fun. But it's... Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Her stuff, it's funny, you know, I picked her first book up, the first book of hers that I read at our one of our challenge months, so I guess the 2017, and I purely picked it up because I was looking for a self-published author, and she sent in a request, and I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot, and just went crazy for her stuff. So now she's, I think at least one of hers was last year, was in one of my annual favorites, and um, again this year, so definitely excited about that so I've got to figure out what else is going to be on there but those lists are all out or coming out this week so um, check them out we'll do our favorite covers as well um, which is always a fun one for me because I'm a big fan of cover art and really mm. think it can make or break um, a book especially on first impression mm -hmm. um, so I always love to give some notice or some recognition to the cover artists who can put together something amazing from often not a lot of information and really sell a book and get the mood and the theme and everything really in there. Very cool. We'll, of course, have links to all of the lists yeah, and all the books uh, in the show notes for this episode so people can go check all of that out. Great. Great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and giving us this good stuff. Happy Hanukkah since we're recording this week. Happy holidays Thank and happy you. new year. Thank you uh, to you as well. And we already know we're going to have you back in February uh, to yeah. be with us for our Coastal Magic preview, which will happen the week before Coastal Magic uh, yeah, actually really happens. Yeah, yeah, really we're excited about that. Already excited about the beach in February. <laughs> I know, I know. Gosh, there's something so nice about being Daytona in the middle of February, isn't there? Yeah, I'm Absolutely. excited for that. Excited All right, that. Jay. Well, thank you so much, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Great. Sounds good. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. And thanks again to Jay from Joyfully Jay for coming to hang out with us with that stuff. Uh, you definitely need to check out the Snowbound list. Because, you know, that's kind of your crack in a way, which is, as I mentioned in the interview. Uh, everything is linked up to... <laughs> what? It's good. I would... Crack is whack, yo. I would prefer to say it's my catnip. It's my catnip. Continue. Thank you. Catnip, crack, you know. 
Anyway, uh, all of the stuff that Jay mentioned is linked up in our show notes so you can get to Joyfully Jay to check out the holiday recommendations, the best of list, and the all-important snowbound list. Coming up now, we've got our interview with Terry Michaels. Terry is one of our Coastal Magic Convention featured authors, so we are very excited to get to see her down in Daytona Beach in February for that convention. Uh, Terry has a new book coming out next week, which is a collection of short stories that help to cap off the Faith, Love, and Devotion series. It's called Forever and Ever, and it releases rather appropriately, I think, on Christmas Day. Uh, we also talked to her about her teaching and the work that she does with Book Lovers Con. So let's get to this jam-packed interview. Welcome to the podcast, Terry. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. I'm so glad we finally get to sit down and have a, a proper interview. You've been on a couple times, but it's always for like, hey, what's happening right now kind of stuff. And... <laughs> I'm breaking news, but this time we're actually having a, a, a nice interview. Yes, a proper sit-down chat that doesn't involve any Disney rain showers. <laughs> Thank God. Or that lizard that was on the wall behind me that I tried to Yes, the lizard who dropped in to visit the last time. <laughs> exactly. There are no lizards. And I locked the door so my cat, cat can't get in, so we're fine. No, very good. Even keeping the, <laughs> even keeping the pets out. <laughs> so when you were here in September, we were talking all about the 10th anniversary of Faith and Fidelity, which was happening right around the time we did that interview. And now you're here because on Christmas Day, in just a week, you're going to be releasing Forever and Ever, which is the final book in this series. Yes, it is. Tell us all about it. What's happening here? Um, well, after uh, Truth and Tenderness, I figured the story was over and I would do a couple of one shots. Um, but stories started kind of piling up and I started thinking about different things I'd like to share with readers. Um, the guys becoming grandparents, um, the kids growing up. I mean, they were so little in book one and it's about 15 years. It's been 10 years in real time, but it's about 15 years total in book time. Um, to see the kids all grown up, um, to see them experiencing um, a sort of level of satisfaction in their lives that is so far removed from the beginning of book one. Um, and also, of course, uh, the wedding uh, that everyone wanted to see. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go out with a fun holiday-themed uh, uh, collection of stories. Um, there's Christmas, there's weddings, there's babies, there's, um, you know, dealing with uh, getting older. Um, I'm 50, and um, my mom passed this year, and there were a lot of things that I was thinking about um, in terms of growing older and the things that pop up as you reach a certain age. Um, and I wanted to share that with readers. So that's basically what happened there. <laughs> it sounds kind of fun how you said it against holidays and like major life moments, the wedding, the, the children and that kind of thing. Was that kind of like the, the keystone to each of the stories or? Um, yes, I had done two uh, Christmas-themed uh, stories for my newsletters. Um, and in the second story, um, the girls were pregnant. Um, that's not a spoiler if you've seen those stories. Um, but uh, from there, it sort of grew from those holiday-themed stories um, that I wanted to do more. And once I got into what happened, these stories just kept popping up and popping up and popping up and, 
you know, it, it just took on a life of its own. Now, theoretically, this is the end of it, but do you, would you be open to another set if more stories keep popping up? Or is it like, you guys need to shut up now because we're done? <laughs> um, I don't think I can take them any further. Like, I felt that Truth and Tenderness, it ended with uh, a baby on the way for Griffin um, and Jim. And basically the implication that um, Evan and Matt had gotten married secretly. Um, and I felt like that was a good ending. Uh, but my readers disagreed with me um, and um, were constantly like, are we getting more? Are we getting more? Are we getting more? Um, and I didn't want to write a full book with one storyline um, because that would, I think that would have me putting their relationship in danger again or adding something to calamitous. Um, and quite honestly, I didn't run, want to write that book. Um, these are people who have been through enough in their lives and I wanted them to kind of enjoy the next, I guess, thinking about the next segment of their life, um, and just having them enjoy it, but they're done. They're done. It's over. It's finished. <laughs> Believe me, people are not happy, but I, I, I feel like 10 years is a really good run. I, I would say so. I mean, just given some of what I've seen too, where you don't get a lot of series that focus pretty intensely on one couple and one, right. you know, there's all the, the all the shared series, shared universes and stuff that can go on forever. But yeah, one couple needs to have that EGA <laughs> permanently. <It's> not, period. <laughs> like they're super happy, you guys. I swear. Like you know, I love the I love the last story, the last little story. It's to me the the best thing that I could have probably ended it on. And it's not anything big, but it's just this big sprawling group of people who created this very loud, um, very sarcastic family who would do anything for each other. And I mean, their extended family, um, all the couples and the kids, et cetera. And, you know, I just love the little vision that I go out on. So I hope everybody else will love it too. What was it like for you after, you know, 10 years of these characters to now be putting the period on it? Um, you know what? When I started, I was like, okay, this is the completion of it. I'm a completionist. Um, I, this is the period on the end of the sentence that I feel firm about. This is good. This is whatever. Uh, but I just uh, did the last review of the galleys um, and sent it back. And I was like, holy crow, that's it. <laughs> like. Wow. Um, you know, part of me is happy with the way they're quote unquote going out because it's beautiful. Um, on the other hand, um, it's a little sad. Like I love all these people. I love all these characters, people, they're characters, but in my head, they're people. Yeah. Um, they've been living in my head for a very long time. The genesis of the first book started 18 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. So they've, They've been around for a really long time. Um, so it's a little bit hard to let them go, to be quite honest. But I have to. <laughs> I have to. Across all those books, was there anything that you ended up writing going, whoa, didn't see that one coming? Um, the wedding, actually. Um, the Matt and Evan getting married. Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody this past Monday and they were like, did you ever imagine? And I never did. Um, I did not think that was something that was going to happen. And even in the fifth book, I was very res resistant to it. 
um, there's actually a very funny story where a fan and I, who's actually a very good friend of mine, um, got into a fight, air quote, fight in a bar um, where she was like, they have to get married. And I was like, they're not getting married. And like, this is just a famous argument that we had. So them getting married was a big surprise to me because that is not something that I ever plotted out, ever. In looking for the HEAs that, you know, we all want to give our romance characters, why never a wedding in your original concept? Just, you didn't want to tell that story or? Um, it did not seem to fit their personalities. Um, okay. Griffin, uh, the character of Griffin definitely had a, he wanted the moment to be the groom. He wanted to get married. If he was traditional that way, he's the youngest of like nine girls. 10 girls, I think. Um, and he had a very specific idea for a wedding. Um, and Jim would do anything for him. But Evan already got married. And even that time was at the city hall. Um, this is not his, he doesn't come from a big warm family. Um, there is nothing about his past that said big wedding. And I felt like I would be forcing that. Um, and so I wanted to write the wedding as I felt it would be for them. Um, which is eloping. Um, and when I wrote it, it was the last thing I wrote in the book. It's the first thing in the book, but it was the last thing I wrote. Um, and it took me a lot of time to make sure that it was the most authentic thing for these characters. Um, I don't want to, I never wanted to force uh, the characters into a situation because of expectation. It always had to feel really um, emotionally valid for me. Um, particularly for these two characters. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> when we talked back in September, you described yourself, and I believe the exact quote was, little baby author, oh back God. when Faith and Fidelity you know, came out. What got you into writing that particular book and writing M.M. Romance in particular? Um, I have always wanted to be a writer. I started very young, like five, six years old. I would write stories on the back of paper that I got from school or whatever, old bills, whatever I could, I wrote on everything. Um, and, you know, writing to different forms, I did different types of books, but I, I was a big romance reader. Um, that was the first, the first romance book I ever read was Danielle Steele's Palomino. Um, that was my very first romance novel. Um, and uh, so I sort of meandered through a lot of different types of stories. Um, I wasn't writing at all for many years. Um, I was writing professionally. I worked for Martha Stewart magazine um, for a couple of years. I wrote for her magazine um, and I was put on bed rest <laughs> in my last trimester. I couldn't commute into work. They didn't have anything to do. And this story just sort of happened in my head. Um, the character of Evan came to me first. Um, and I had a very clear picture of this man who was extremely emotionally constipated, um, who was a father of four children, whose wife did all the emotional heavy lifting in his life. He had never known anybody else. She was the only person he'd ever loved. And he died. And my literal thought was, what is the most complicated thing I could do for him to fall in love? Like, what is the most complicated situation for him to fall in love? And it was a man. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly, I wrote this book. Um, to be quite honest, I did not know that gay romance existed. 
in publishing at the time. Um, I wrote this story, I put it aside, um, and saw an ad one day for uh, this company called Loose Id, and said, oh my goodness, they, they published gay romance, that's crazy. Um, and on Facebook, I said, hey, has anybody heard of this company, Loose Id? And somebody who's a very good friend of mine said, do you know what I do for a living? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, I'm one of the partners of Loose Id. I had no idea. Wow, small world. It was the most bizarre thing. She's like, did you not know what I did for a living? And she didn't do editorial, but she's like, you better have a book in your pocket. And I was like, oh, weirdly enough, I <laughs> do actually have this story. And I sent it in and that was it. I absolutely wrote this book before I knew that there was an industry out there and sort of fell into it. And when I say little baby author, I had no idea what I was doing. I sent it in and was like, oh, you want to buy it? Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> cool. And about three months later, it came out. Like, wow, three months thing, later. Yeah, the whole thing took maybe four months from me submitting it until the book coming out. The You mentioned the kind of eight-year gap between the seed of the idea and getting it published. How much did you do on it in that eight year gap? Was it just waiting for the lucid to kind of pop on your radar or was it continual like tweaks and edits and? To be quite honest, uh, the book that I wrote, there were almost no edits from what I wrote into what was published. There's almost no edits. Um, I write, final drafts. I don't write drafts. I write final drafts. Like wow. it's, in, it's in my head for such a long time that by the time I write it, it's the final draft. Um, but there was very minimal editing. Um, and I, it was literally something that I put away um, and then pulled out and dusted mm -hmm. off and sent it in. The definition of the trunk novel practically. Yeah, really, <laughs> lit, I mean, literally, funnily <laughs> enough, it's the only book I have I had ever written at that point that was finished. Um, so it's not like I have a drawer full of finished manuscripts that I can pull out and clean up and send in. That yeah. was it. There was one. Everybody's style kind of, of course, evolved over the years. How, how do you think your style and storytelling method has evolved over the, the 10 years? That's a hard one because I don't know if it has. Um, I, 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 my writing style is pretty much the same. My process is pretty much the same. Um, I, I think I've gotten a bit tighter. Um, I, I don't, I don't like long passages of nothing happening. So my books are definitely have gotten actually a little shorter. Um, <laughs> I think I'm a much tighter. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot tighter when I write. Um, that's pretty much it. I think I'm just stuck in a groove that I'm never going to get out of. It's not a bad place to be, though. It's not a terrible groove. I'm just saying I don't know how to. <laughs> I don't know how to change it. <laughs> and that's okay because <laughs> it works. I mean, that's the important thing. Yeah. Hopefully, not good. Keep going. Now, what do you think the trademark of one of your books is? Like. Um, I write about normal, good people who can't get out of their own way and are trying to fix their lives. Um, and I think that there will always be snark 
Um, there will always be uh, more internal emotional conflict as opposed to external conflict. I don't think I write a lot of external conflict. Um, and always a well-earned happy ending. So I think that those are my, um, but deflection through humor um, would also be a large part of it. I think that no matter what the genre, no matter what the time or place, um, those are always going to show up in my stories. I like those. I like especially the, the earned. Earned. You got to earn it. This ain't. This is not an easy. You don't get any passes from me. You're gonna have to work <laughs> for it. Now, besides writing, you also teach all all these new baby authors and even more skilled authors out there. What got you going down that path? Um, it was something that I wanted to try, and a friend um, asked me to do um, a workshop at a, a local event. Liberty States was the first time I ever taught, um, and I taught uh, supporting characters, um, which was has long been a hallmark class that I teach. Um, I don't know. Uh, getting up in front of people and talking, not a natural um, not a natural thing for me, uh, but getting up and talking about process, um, I feel like I was hooked from the first time I did it. Like I was a nervous wreck, but once I got started, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, honestly, I love um, talking about process to writers. Uh, I love trying to help people sort of um, find the tools to look at their own writing to make it better um, is just, it is so much fun. I, I enjoy the heck out of it. How much of it, of what you teach is your own kind of process versus other things you've just learned over time and pulling from other places and kind of mashing it all together? Um, I think it's less, um, because my process is crazy. Um, I, you know, we can discuss what it is, but I mean, it's nuts. I would never advise people to write the way I write because it's, <laughs> it's ludicrous. Um, but I try to, um, help them figure out the questions to ask of themselves to figure out their own process. To me, the, the biggest, um, thing that I can impart is for people to look at their own process of writing, um, identify their strengths and their weaknesses, um, and then work on what they want to work on. So uh, to me, it's more about helping people figure out what tools they need. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't teach anybody my process because it's, it's, lud it's ludicrous. I, I, I mean, it's ludicrous. So. And so, of course, the natural question there is, because I was going to ask, you know, <laughs> do you practice what you preach kind of thing? And clearly you don't. So what is this this crazy process you've got? No, actually, I do. Um, at Dream Center Weekend, I taught uh, several classes and my editor was in the back of the room. And I went up to her and I was like, do I practice what I preach? And she was like, yes. I said, OK, good. OK, that's um, good. That is good. Uh, my process is um, I will get a scrap of an idea and needle it in my head over and over and work on the emotional arc and who the characters are. And it usually takes me about a year um, before I even put paper to pen, pen to paper, that's what it is. Um, and even start to sort of sketch out a story um, and then start naming the characters. It takes me about a year to get to that point. Um, and then I'll write several drafts of a very long detailed summary until I'm happy with it. Then I will write the first chapter over and over again until it's to what I want. 
then I'll write the first three chapters. And when I'm satisfied with that, I'll write the last chapter. And then I'll write the rest of the book out of order, by the way. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would not teach that to anyone and say, this is how you should write a book because it's nutty. Um, but but I have to do very uh, little um, draft work after that. Mm -hmm. um, in that case, that's my final. Once I start writing that document, once I'm happy with the first three chapters and the last one to three chapters, then the rest of it is just piecing it together the way I wanted because I've spent so much time with it in my head. I've written all the drafts of it in my head and then I sit down and actually write the final. How long did it take you to settle on this process? Was it all the way back there in Faith and Fidelity, or did it kind of morph and get locked in over time? Um, I think the roots of it were definitely with Faith and Fidelity, but um, really the second book, Love and Loyalty, is when that happened. Um, I had written almost a complete draft of the book and decided, no, it didn't work, and put that aside, um, and then went back, and it took me several tries. Um, before I got to it. And then once I got to it, then I was fine. I wrote it very quickly after that. Um, same with duty and devotion. Like once I get the beginning, um, then I can write through, then it's not a problem. But um, I have to be happy with the beginning. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think about that as, in, in terms of processing. Like, wow, I see what you call it nutty. <laughs> it's could you imagine me trying to teach that, try to convince people like, yes, you should walk around writing drafts of your book in your head for two years and then write it. Like, no, 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 no. Publishing would like come after me. <laughs> How do you do a schedule with that type of process in mind? Or do you have different There's or you just kind of produce it as you as it comes out? It, you produce it as it comes out. So that might mean um, a month with zero words and then a month with 40 words or 40,000 words. Um, it's a duty and devotion took me once I got the opening few chapters done, took me three days. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, it, it really depends on how quickly the book just comes out of my head. Um, but like I said, I spend a lot of time noodling with it um, before yeah. I even get to that point um, to sit down and write it. That's very cool. I'm, an, I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could practically do a whole episode talking about that process moment. <laughs> I would love to because I can, I mean, I guess I could analyze it, but you know, it's just in let until the emotional arc makes perfect sense in my head. I can't start writing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an important message for the for the writers in the audience to know that find your process and use it regardless of what it is. You've got your process that you won't teach because it is <laughs> it is what it is, and yeah, you got to find that thing that's yours, right? And, and you can't um, you can't adopt other people's process. Um, I will never write a thousand words a day. It, it's absolutely impossible for me. That's not the way my brain works. Um, and I just I hate to see writers um, get frustrated with themselves because they can't fulfill other people's process. And so mm. they think they're a failure in some way. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that just, it, it kills your creative process. It makes you dread sitting down and you should be, even in your most frustrating moments, still in love with your story. Um, and so I'm a big advocate of figuring out what your process is, um, understanding it, and then 
making the best of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to teach? You've got your signature course. Is that is the secondary characters your favorite, or do you have something that is like the thing that you always want to teach? Um, I love teaching emotional arc. Um, I I do love secondary characters um, because anybody who's read my book. Uh, books knows that I am incapable of having less than 50 uh, supporting characters Um, and not even spinoff characters, just a village in every book. Um, But um, I love teaching emotional arc because my gospel is it's the most important piece of a book, particularly a romance novel um, is the emotional arc. So I love teaching. I love teaching emotional arc. Like I can teach it for five hours. And having been to some of your courses, I can tell people if you haven't been to a Terry Michaels course, go to one. Oh, thank you. Because they're really good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're actually coming to your coastal magic class. Hooray! I'm so teaching we're... emotional arts. Uh, yay! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and we'll talk more about coastal in a second because we need to talk about your other convention work first. Amongst all this other stuff that you do, you also do a lot with Book Lovers Convention, which, as people know, is formerly RT Book Lovers Convention. Uh, Yes. Uh, Some of the folks involved uh, after RT's owners retired, a couple of the folks involved with um, RT Book Lovers Con uh, moved on to their own convention, which is Book Lovers Con. Um, I am the director of marketing and events. Um, So I do a lot of the programming for the event and um, some marketing and things like that. Um, I enjoy it. Um, I love the opportunity to get um, readers and authors together. Um, There's many authors out there that their skill is hand selling. Um, If you put them with readers, readers will fall in love with them. Um, And this is a great opportunity uh, for authors and readers to get together. Um, And then I also do the professional development programming so I set up all the craft and marketing classes, um, which, hi, I love it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do in the rest, most of my time. So the bigger question is, when do you sleep between the writing and the teaching and the book lovers and family? And um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I get a good five hours of sleep. There you go. <laughs> now, in February, you're going to be down at Daytona. Yes. Hanging out on the beach, getting out of the out of the cold northeast where you live. Yes. What what is it about the about Coastal Magic that brings you back year after year as 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 one of the featured authors? Um, I, Coastal is absolutely one of my favorite events that I do all year. Um, I think Jennifer and her crew uh, do an amazing job. Um, I love the uh, intimacy of it. Um, where you really get some one-on-one time with readers. Um, it's very casual, um, but it's just a bunch of people who love books, like hanging out at the beach. Like you really cannot, um, you cannot stress enough how awesome that is. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I love that it's kind of a smaller version of what I do professionally in the very large version this is sort of the small version of it where these readers are they just want to meet authors and they want to find new books and new um new authors to read and i deeply appreciate that in a person uh so yeah i love it um as long as jennifer wants me i'll be there 
How many years have you been? Um, every year, but the first, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. That's very cool. The second or the third. Yeah. So I've been going for a couple of years now. What are you looking forward to this year? Other than the aforementioned getting out of the cold. <laughs> there is getting out of the cold. Um, there's, you know, seeing once you go to an event every year, um, you make friends that unfortunately you only get to see once a year because of location. Um, so I always uh, look forward to seeing uh, people and readers um, that I've, you know, met over the years um, and also meeting new readers. Like, I love that sort of discovery of, you know, doing a panel and having somebody come up to you afterwards and be like, all right, you're ridiculous. I would like to read a book of yours. Um, so I, lo I love that. It's tons of fun. What would your pitch be to a reader who's on the fence about coming to Daytona in February? I don't know how to convince anybody. If you're a book lover and you enjoy being warm, um, <laughs> you should come to Daytona in February for Coastal Magic. Like literally, I mean, it's warmth than books. Uh, I, I, I know of no better selling point than that. It, that's a perfect pit. That could be on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, if you're listening, we would like a t-shirt of that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Terry, we'll take all the royalties for it. <laughs> I'll split them. I'm a generous person. <laughs> so with Forever and Ever coming out on the 25th for Christmas, what's coming up next in your writing pipeline? In my writing pipeline, 2019, we'll see uh, the debut of a new series. Um, it is a series about a show on Broadway. Um, I've been dying to do that. Uh, as you know, I'm a huge Broadway fan. Um, and I had this very specific, again, this very specific vision in my head uh, for the opening scene of the first book. And it led to, um, it'll be a three book series. Um, it'll take you through the, um, from casting to opening night of this show um, and uh, three separate couples. Um, but of course, it's me. So it's a cast of 50 um, and everybody will be in all the books. Um, and for anybody who's read my uh, novella, my holiday novella, um, Holiday Roommates, um, you might see that couple show up in this series. Oh. I got very excited when I realized I was casting a Broadway show in my, uh, in my books and that I could hire one of my past characters. I got very excited by this. But, That's pretty cool. And of course, Broadway show, you've got me hooked, like, without knowing anything else, really. I, um, it's going to be fun. Um, it's a subject I love, um, and it's going to be a little bit lighthearted, but still some, you know, drama and angst here and there. But, you know, I'm very excited about it. Um, and then there'll be a standalone book happening probably 2019 or maybe 2020, but I can't really talk about that yet. Okay. Fair enough. I'm thinking about this cast of 50 that we've talked about a couple of times now. You must be like audiobook narrators must panic when they get your books with all these characters in them. I um, apologize uh, <laughs> because, yeah, especially for this last book, um, if you think about if you've read the series, there's a lot of people already and they have the children have begun growing up and breeding. Um, so by the time I got to the final story in the anthology, it was just like a cast of 60. 
um, running around and trying to keep people straight. And um, blessings forever on the head of uh, Jen Eastwick, uh, uh, who is my um, uh, who is my editor, who kept track of everybody's um, ages and names. Um, she's a saint um, because uh, I could not possibly keep track of everybody. It and becomes a lot if all your books have 50 characters on them. <laughs> a lot. I wrote a novella once where there were only five supporting characters, but also a cat that had a lot of personalities. So I, I can't be stopped. I just, I can't be stopped. I'm sorry. And nobody wants you to stop. So. Oh, okay. As long as nobody minds. So what's the best way for everybody to keep up with you online and, and be aware of when all these books are coming out? Um, well, my website is uh, terrymichaels.com. Um, I am on Twitter, uh, again, at Terry Michaels. I'm also on Facebook. Um, I am not the best at social media because I'm old and I don't understand it. Um, but I am on as much as possible. Um, and if you go to my website and send me a message, I always respond very quickly. Very cool. Well, Terry, thank you so much for coming and hanging out and talking to us about uh, Forever and Ever and about Coastal Magic and all the good stuff coming up. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Once again, thank you to Terry for coming and talking to us about her latest release. Um, Terry's one of my absolute favorite people. I love her to pieces. Yeah, I do as well. It's always awesome to get to talk to her. I'm very much looking forward to not only getting to hang out with her in Daytona for Coastal Magic, but we're also both going to her boot camp class that she's teaching just ahead of Coastal Magic, so we get to learn some of that groovy stuff that she teaches. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 168, we have audiobook narrator John Solo. Yeah, as I mentioned up front, John voiced Tracker Hacker, and I was absolutely delighted with it, so I wanted to get him on the show to talk to him. But he's also done like a hundred other titles. Uh, the guy works really hard. He's also the owner of Falcon Sound Company, which does a lot of work with Dream Spinner Press. So we have a, a really good conversation about my book and the other books that he's done. Mm -hmm. Chances are, if you've listened to a gay-themed audiobook, he has probably had something to do with it. At some point, yes. Uh, <laughs> either as the narrator or the producer uh, of that book, yes. Yeah, a really great interview. So everyone, uh, be sure and check that out next week. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.